Abundance of love, abundance of grace, down to that cross, you took my place, oh God, you take my ransom, your love, you give up abundant life. Abundant Life, Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people. Now. Here's Pastor Scott. And Christ Jesus who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. When I left Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. Those things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from the things, from these things and spent their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak confidently. This morning, I want to preach to you from a sermon titled, Don't Miss the Point. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for each person who's come out here today, Lord, and I ask you to anoint me to say things that will be sound doctrine. God, I pray that you would teach us today. Open our hearts to receive your word from your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't miss the point. There are so many points in the Bible that people should cling to, but I see so many people getting hooked up on all the wrong stuff. As I travel around, and especially if somebody finds out I'm a pastor, the questions they ask me about our church, I'll just give you one um, because it's so prevalent everywhere I go. People ask, well, are you a full gospel church? And I've told some of y'all have heard me say it. I, I tell them, well, we're about 13, 16th gospel. I mean, what are you talking Are we a full gospel church? Every church is preaching the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the full gospel. But that's not what they're asking me. How many of y'all know what they're asking me? They're asking me, are we a tongue-talking church? And he, here's the reality. I know people that, that put more emphasis on speaking in tongues than they put on being saved. And that, that's, that's out of order. I've never had anybody ask me. I've had thousands of people ask me when they found out I was a pastor uh, uh, about our, our belief in, in tongues and healings. And I believe all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still active in accordance with God's Word. And it's shocking, though, because I never had anybody ask me, uh, do you guys believe the Bible is true? Uh, do, do you guys teach that Christians ought to pray? And live holy. Never had that happen. Uh, do, do you guys teach that you, you, should, you should be decent human beings and love each other? <laughs> Never had that happen. What, what am I saying this morning? People tend to miss the big point and focus on tiny things that draw them out to distraction. And I don't want you to let that happen to you today. It's uh, December 10th. That's 15 days left till Christmas. I'll tell you what I tell you every year. That means women are almost ready and done and finished up. And men need to wake up and realize, you've got 15 days. So, I mean, if you're going to do it, do it. I, I love walking through Walmart gift card section on, on Mother's Day or Valentine's Day and listening to these non-planning men do it and see if it don't happen. You'll see it. Cursing at the, at the card rack. Throwing all kinds of words at the card rack. Ain't no good cards up in this place. And I'm thinking, well, there's only nine cards left. Carl, what'd you think? You, She's been your mama every year of your life. Mother's Day comes on the same. People say, well, Christmas snuck up on me this year. No, it's the same day every year. But I, I want you to try to do something today that I always want you to do, but you really need to hear the word of the Lord today. So wherever you're at in this holiday season, wherever you're at with all this uh, busy scheduling, 
I want you to take this next few minutes and really believe that God is alive and he can speak to you through his word. In verse 1 of our text, the Bible says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. God gives us hope. God gives us hope through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's so important because we live in a world filled with hopelessness. I believe one of the biggest challenges we have with young people growing increasingly I don't even know the best way to say it. Whack, uh, crazy, the hating authority, high school dropouts, all-time high, teenage incarceration, all-time high, more kids flunking out. They're passing them, they, they passed them all. I told y'all what happened during COVID. They didn't have um, one person in 16 schools in Baltimore pass the, the test that they had to take to get out of high school in the Baltimore School District, and the superintendent decided we're just going to graduate all of them. And here's what, here's what the, this is what this African-American man said. He said, they suffered the indignity of being black their entire life. We don't want them to suffer the indignity of failing high school. I thought, he's lucky I'm not black because I felt that all the way down to my feet. Um, I, I would let him know, hey, this, this, this is a blessing. This, you don't know what you're talking about over here. You're the one getting sunburnt and, and, and being pale and pasty. But we've got kids not being taught. We've got a, a country where our, our leaders can't tell us what a man and what a woman is. But I've always seen this in communities, and I still believe this to this day. Young, many young people take the wrong road in life. Because they don't believe there's any hope for them on the better road. They don't have anybody to help them with their school. They, they don't see anybody in their community that models success for them. They don't have anybody in their family to cheerlead and encourage them along the way. And here's what happens. They lose hope. And when you take a young person that loses hope, they don't care if they fail or succeed. We've got, a, we've got thousands, hundreds, millions maybe, young people in this country. They don't care if they ever make it in life or not. And most of them don't believe they have a fair chance anyway. I want you to know above everything that God can give you hope. Suicide, depression, isolation, all these problems stem from multiple things, but hopelessness being one of them. And if you're a Christian, remember there is hope in the name of the Lord. Hope that tells me he loves me. Hope that tells me he's always with me. Hope that tells me there's a place for me in heaven. And I'm going to keep saying as long as I have breath, no matter how many times you've heard it, we should be satisfied with salvation. For all history, until the 1900s, in this country, Christians were satisfied with salvation. Great-grandmama and them, who had nothing to eat, had one pair of clothes, had hardship, no electricity. They washed real well, I hear women today, and I'm not bad you, but think about grandmama, great-grandmama and them. When you talk about washing the dishes, if it involves pushing a button and electricity, that's not washing. If you talk about, oh, man, it was a rough day yesterday. I had to catch up on my laundry. If that involves electricity and pushing a button, you got it better than great. But great-grandmama and them weren't depressed. They weren't bitter. They weren't walking around frowning on God, wondering when God's going to come through for me. It was only in the 1900s in America where people started to look to God for more than salvation. Well, when am I going to get, my brother's got a new car. When am I going to get a new car? Well, everybody else making more money than me. When am I going to make, and people started looking to God for stuff because hear, hear this and don't fall in this trap. They started to believe that what God did on Calvary wasn't enough to deserve their worship every minute of every day for the rest of their life. But I'm telling you, it's not a cliche. It's true. God did enough on Calvary for us to serve him every minute of every day for the rest 
of our life. The fact that he's got a place for me, listen, the fact that he didn't give up on me when others did, the fact that he didn't kick me out when he could have, the fact that he didn't throw me back when I proved to not be worth. Listen, none of us are worth the price that God paid to get us from being lost to being saved. Man, if you ever returned anything, you, you bought something online maybe or you bought it in a store and you took it home and you're like, I don't like this. I'm going to take it back and get my money back. You better be glad God is not that way because we are not worth the price. They call it in the sales business buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse. People buy something and they start thinking about that payment and they're like, I got to take that back. Oh, if anything ever deserved to be taken back off buyer's remorse, it was my soul. But God has given me so much hope because I truly believe there's a place in heaven for every one of God's children. I truly believe what he said, that he's going away to prepare a place for us and he'll come again to receive us into himself that where he is, we may be also. So I can say, like the hymn writer said, whatever be tied, it ain't no matter to me what happens in this life. I got a better place coming, and that is real hope. In verse 2, he said, I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Not only does God want to give us hope, but he wants to give us grace, mercy, and peace. But before we get into that, I want you to make sure that you understand what you're reading. Because we need to slow the Bible down. We need to take the Bible in bite-sized pieces so we can digest it and get it on the inside of us. Paul says, I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. So two phrases in there separated by one comma. That's why I always say pay attention to the punctuation. It'll help your understanding. I'm writing to Timothy. I've always told you, man, I'm fighting a sneeze right now. Y'all don't even know. I've always told you how it just, it just thrills me how the Word of God can be written thousands of years ago to specific people for specific problems they were going through, but God superintended it the whole time to still be His Word to us today in 2023. So this was something that Paul wrote to Timothy, but it was also God writing it to all of His children and he said, my true son in the faith. Now, let's pretend like we're Wednesday night Bible study. If Timothy is his true son, if he goes to the measures of saying my true son, what must there also be? False. The Bible talks about false brethren all the time. The Bible talks about people who crept in unawares. I have been on a mission for the last 10 years to drive out false brethren. I've been on a mission to get people to go that need to go. When we started here, and some of y'all were here, when we started here almost 10 years ago, we had 150, I don't know, at least 100 more chairs in here. I don't know what what we're down to in here now. But we had over 300 people here every week for the first month. The entire parking lot, we called it the overflow lot, was filled. People were parking all over this place, up on the hill, out in the street. And I thought, oh, we're going to whittle this down in a hurry. Why? Because there's a, there's a time to tear down and there's a time to grow. There's a time to plant. There's a time to harvest. And you can't grow right until stuff gets pruned off your life. And so I'm very familiar with this, my true son in the faith. My kids grew up in this church. We started this church uh, a couple of months before my oldest was born. And they have seen so much. Every now, every time now, and I'm not saying don't say this, you know, do whatever the Lord leads you, but they've heard so many people stand up and give testimony. I just want to thank God for Pastor Scott. I want to thank God for Pastor Scott. Uh, I got saved in this church. I grew in this church. My family got saved, and I just want to know uh, I, I love this church, and if everybody else leaves, I'm going to stay as long as I live. And my kids always nudge me when somebody says that. That's, that's their cue for your next out. <laughs> but there, there are true, he said, my true son in the faith. And I don't have time to preach it to you this morning, but the issue of fathering inside the church is 
misunderstood on both sides of the equation. Some people take it to extreme and think that you're supposed to serve them like a dog. I've had people that called themselves fathers in the church, and they expected their laundry to be picked up, their grass to be cut, their, their, their dry cleaning to be taken in, and all of that. I've been in churches where they had sons in the ministry, five people in the church, the pastor, the pastor's wife, and three armor bearers carrying his Bible and his water up into the pulpit. Any of y'all ever say anything? This is crazy. It's crazy all day long. So there, there's an excess on that side, but there's a lack of accountability on the other side. Some people just don't want to be told what to do by anybody. But Timothy had proved himself to be a true son, not a biological son, but a spiritual son. Paul said, you have many instructors in Christ, but you only have one spiritual father because I became your spiritual father when I taught you the good news of Christ. Timothy was the real deal. Say real deal. He had proven himself faithful. And he says in the end of that verse, may the father. Let's pretend like we're winning night Bible study. If he says, may God do something, what's the alternative? He might not. And I'm going to tell you this, you need to pray and ask God, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord, to give you grace, mercy, and peace. Most people don't pray for the grace of God on their life. Most people don't pray for the mercy of God on their life. Most people don't pray for the peace of God on their life. They pray for more material things. But I want you to see this morning the extreme value in grace, in mercy, and peace. Anybody, any of y'all ever? Oh, praise the Lord. Baby's all right. I'm just getting old. Hey, you got to check yourself. I'm, I'm 60 years old. You got to check yourself. That's how it starts, y'all. And I've said it for years. It's okay to talk to yourself. But when you start answering yourself, you you... Hey, keep somebody close to you that'll let you know. You know uh, you asked that question out loud and answered it out loud. You get, you get to my age and you start thinking, did I use my outside voice to say that? Well, did I say that on this? All right. I, I don't know how many of y'all have ever heard the song, but, man, it, it just it tears me up emotionally every time I hear it. Mercy said no. God. God could have chosen justice, but his mercy said no at some point for some people. But we need to see that if you have God's grace, you have God's mercy, and you have God's peace, money means nothing. Friendship means nothing. Family, people there, the way it's good, hey, your, your physical health. If you've got the mercy, the grace, and the peace of God on your life, you are in better shape than you know. And, and, and I want us to look at these three things real quick. Uh, I, I put it in my notes because I want you to see it. As I was studying these out, y'all know the New Testament was primarily written in Greek. The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew. You don't have to learn to speak these languages. But sometimes studying these original words in their original language adds some, some context and some depth to these words that we get so common with like grace it's the greek word it's it says charis but if you've ever been around any middle eastern people you know if you're going to speak that language you got to get a little in your throat yeah that's charis 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 it's the divine influence upon the heart that brings gratitude benefit favor gifts joy pleasure and thanks I added my little addendum to it. That's when you're getting better than what you deserve. That's the grace of God on your life. I've been battling this false definition of grace. I'm not saying it's not a definition of grace. I was taught by every pastor I ever had in every Bible college I went to and in seminary that grace is best defined by two words. The first word starts with un. Anybody know what they say? Unmerited favor. And, yeah, okay, getting stuff you don't deserve, unmerited favor. 
But it can't be just that because the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace. And the only thing Jesus got that he didn't deserve, the only, the only thing he got that was unmerited was punishment. It wasn't favor. But you ought to ask God to give you grace for your race. You ought to ask God to empower you, to, to make you grateful. As he does good things for you, to make you grateful, to make you see his hand of goodness in everything. When the car cranks, when it shuts off, when the brakes work, everything. We need to have God's grace on our life. I've told you I believe the best definition of grace is the divine enablement of God on a human being to empower them to be and to do all that he's called them to be and to do. If you study the Bible, you'll see a phrase repeated that says, and the grace of God was on Nehemiah. Or the grace of God was on Jeremiah. And you don't have to have Maya in your name to get the grace of God on your life. But you ought to be praying for it. The grace of God lets you be the man God called you to be. Empower you to be the woman that God called you to be. We've got to get to the place where we understand. Watch how people gravitate to certain things while missing other points. We know that every good and every perfect gift, what? Comes from God. Do we see God's grace in every gift that comes our way? The sun coming up is a gift from God. Oxygen in the room is a gift from God. Lungs that work is a gift from God. A refrigerator that didn't conk out last night is a gift from God. Having underwear to put on your body so you don't get raw rubbed in jeans is a grace from God. It's a benefit. It's God's favor. That, do you know living in this country that the devil is trying to cause young people to hate is a grace from God? If you don't believe it, talk to somebody who's traveled outside the world. If you don't believe it, just, just look around. The, I've told you, many people in this country are, are buying into the, we, we're the 99%. We hate the one percenters, the richest people in the world. United States government did, did the test. If you make $30,100 a year, you are in the top 1% in the world financially. And you can make that at Amazon. If you don't make that, go to Amazon. They'll pay you $33,000 a year out the gate. But we need to see everything, all the good things in our life. I think the reason why some people are depressed, why some people have lost hope, I think the one reason why some people are just overly pessimistic because they don't take time to do what the hymn writer said, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings. Count your many blessings. The Bible says to not forget all of his benefits. If you would just start uh, every day, Several times a day, going down a list of things that you're truly grateful for. If you knew the stories around this room, people who lost spouses, people who lost children, people who went through hardship, you would realize, I'm not the only one. Jacob went through an issue when his mother died. He was almost five, four and some change. He had had some growth situations going on. And I told him, son, you can't can't act out. I said, everybody's got a sad song to sing, and everybody's had hardship. And he told me, well, nobody ever lost their mother before. I'm like, son, millions of people have lost their mother. Not when they were my age. Yeah, when they were your age. And we began to have several people come through the church uh, that had experienced that same thing. I want to tell you something. No matter how hard life has been on you, the grace of God should still be something that you're grateful for. The fact that you're still here, that you're still alive, that there's somebody that would still call you a friend or care about you, the fact that people allow you to sit on the same road with them, you ought to be thankful and gracious. You ought to see God's grace in goodness. Say grace. And then he said mercy. He's saying, I hope God will give you mercy. 
And that's the Greek word elios. And it means compassion and tenderness or compassion with tenderness. It means most literally tender compassion. And I gave my addendum. That's out of the Greek dictionary. The bottom line is not getting what we deserve. That's mercy. Not getting what we deserve. When I taught my children, my kids growing up, I knelt beside their bed every night of their life, and the three of us prayed together. And I taught them the word of God. And when I taught them about mercy not being what you deserve, I, a couple times, I gave, I gave them a, a hall pass. I, I let them slide. I said, I should tear you up. I should lay you across the bed and spank your bottom right now. But I see that you are repentant. I see that you're, you realize you did wrong, and you sh- you, you're showing signs of sorrow over it. So I'm going to give you mercy. And let me tell you what mercy is. It's when we deserve to be punished, but God gives us mercy instead. It's not getting what we deserve. I've told you many times, it's not hard to get somebody saved in this world. It's hard to get them to admit that they need to be saved. Most people don't believe, well, I've never done anything that bad. Listen, if you don't realize that the Bible teaches if you've broken one of God's laws, you're guilty of breaking all of them. If you don't understand that prior to salvation, you were lost and on your way to hell, desperately in need of God's grace and mercy to get you out of where you were to where he is, then you haven't yet come to Christ. I'm so glad that God gives us mercy. My kids, from that one example for the rest of their life, screamed. How many of y'all ever had kids that started crying before you hit them? One example, trying to be a good father, teaching them biblical truth. For the rest of my life, I had to, I had to hear, I want mercy, Dad. I want mercy, Dad. Please give me mercy. I just want some mercy. I'm going to give you mercy. Now they'll use it on you. Don't they? Y'all think kids ain't smart? They'll use it on you. But here's the thing. We don't think about this every day. We don't think about how good it is and how grateful we should be for his mercy. That song, I Need Your Mercy. I need your grace. You ought to have that in your mind all the time. If it, see, we, we get churchy, and church, church people know how to finish the preacher's sentence. They've been around. They can come and take this microphone and preach this message. If it had not been for what? If it had not been for the Lord on my side. This, this, and this, and this, and this was happening, but what? But God. See, if you've been around long enough, you, you have your own stories of but God. If, if you, if, and if you don't have your own but God story, it's because you haven't realized it could have went a different way. When we get so depressed and bitter and negative and sad, you don't know what I've been through. I tell you this, I know God gave you mercy to get through it. If, and this is why the devil doesn't want you to have a quiet time. A time every day where you set aside to have an appointment with God where you read his word and meditate, where you think on it. Meditation is a concept that the Greeks, the word they used for it was the imagery of a cow rechewing its cud. Just chewing on it, chewing on it, chewing on it. I would say not to gross you out, but I don't care about grossing you out. The cow would, would regurgitate it back in his mouth and chew on it again over and over and over and over again. That's what meditation is. And if you ever really sat down and meditated on God's mercy, it wouldn't be hard for you to serve him. If you ever sat down and meditated on God's grace, the things that he gave you that you didn't even deserve, People see where you are and have no idea where you come from, no idea what you've been through. 
So I'm the only one in the room that knows every hardship or most of the hardship in this church uh, because people come to me and they talk to me about it. But the devil wants you to think you got it harder than everybody else. The devil wants you to think you've been through more than everybody else. The devil wants to make you think that everybody around you had it easy in life. My sister's in the room. You remember when I went to Tampa, uh, moved to Tampa, and I was so petrified and so broke, I didn't have a mattress to sleep on. I, was, I had no furniture in my apartment, was sleeping on the floor. And I had given them a security deposit, but I hadn't kept the place clean. And I was friends with the leasing agent, and she came through the house. I said, hey, you need to come through this, uh, this apartment and uh, tell me I'm going to get my." And she looked at it, and she's like, Scott, you're not going to. Get you, you get, this needs to be done, this needs to be done. You remember that? So, so what did I do? I called my sister. I said, do you have cleaning supplies? Well, I don't have money to buy cleaning supplies. I don't have Comet. I don't have Windex. I don't have, I'm so broke, I barely was eating. And I said, I need this $400 back. I don't have gas money to come. My sister drove down and helped me clean that apartment so I could get. Listen, y'all, y'all think you see people right now. You look at people like Deacon Dixon. And, uh, you know, is the truck getting fixed? Wrecked the nicest truck. I've always been on about having the nicest vehicle in the church. Got the nicest house in the church. Listen, it ain't always been this way, has it? He don't look it, and his wife ain't in it, so people think he's younger than he is. This man's in his 60s. He's older than me. He could tell you some stories. Uh, it, it wasn't always easy, was it? Ain't always had a pocket full of money. Hey, he's rich now, man. Anything you need, you hit him up. You let him know. Hey, pops. <laughs> you let him know. Hey, and that, but God blessed him because he knew he could trust him. His family taking care of their mothers and their children. Somebody say amen. That's, that, that's what we ought to be doing in life. But... If it hadn't been for God who was on his side. If he had let us sink every time we were sinking. If he had let us fall every time we were falling. I want you to get along with God at some point. People, people get into Thanksgiving and thank God more on Thanksgiving. That ought to be every day. People get into Christmas and thank God. For, that ought to be every day. Mercy. mercy the mercy of God. Mm, you, you ought to thank God that his mercy hasn't allowed everybody in this room to know the five most worst things you ever did in life. Woo! How many people want that on the screen right now? We'll just start with Joyce Harris. We want to put up the five worst things that she ever did in her life. And I want to... <laughs> hey, if I was in a building like that, I'd do what the actress exit stage left, baby. I'm out. You show my stuff, I ain't going to be there to these people looking at me. We need the mercy of God. We're looking for all the wrong stuff. Mercy, grace, and peace will take you further than whatever you think that you really need. That word peace, it's, it's a Greek word, irene. Listen to this. This, this, is, this will blow your mind because some of you have never had this, but some of you have. And I want you to get it, and I want you to be thankful for it when you have it. It's the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. That's somebody who can truly say what the hymn writer said. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, I've heard a dozen different renditions of how that song was written. So I actually looked it up this week because I knew I was going to talk about it. And I, I got to the truth of the matter. The man who wrote this song, because last time I quoted that, I, I, I couldn't remember if it was a man or woman that wrote this song, was named Horatio. And Horatio was one of the most successful businessmen in America when Chicago was big banging early in the 1800s, and they had a great fire, and it wiped him out financially. He went from being one of the richest people around to being broke, and he 
didn't let it affect his joy because he had peace. He had, he had, Jesus said, I will give you peace, not like the world gives you peace, but Irene, this kind of peace, this, this kind of peace that will pass all understanding, that make people scratch their heads when you're going through, wondering how can you even put a smile on your face and show up after all that you're going through. I, 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 and I had people tell me, if it had been me, I'd have been down. I'd have quit already. Listen, the peace of God will allow you to say it is well with my soul. He went bankrupt. He lost all his money. Listen, it's easier. Y'all ain't going to believe me, but I've been both. It's easier being poor than it is rich. The, the Bible says a rich man can pay a ransom, but a poor person won't even get asked. <laughs> you don't believe me? Look at the story of these people that hit the lottery and how miserable their life got with every cousin and every friend showing up on their doorstep begging and banging for money. Listen, you'd be glad for what you got. Nobody wants what you got when you don't have nothing. This man went from being rich to being poor. I love what one comedian said. I wasn't going to tell you who it was, but it was Chris Rock. Chris Rock said... Being poor allows you to have things that money can't buy. Then he paused. He said, like poverty. Being poor can help you depend on the Lord. Be thankful. You think rich people are thankful to have a little bit of of, uh, sauce to put on their barbecue? No, they get indignant if they don't have it, if somebody don't step and fetch it right away. Yeah, y'all just have no idea. I'm so glad God graced my sister and her family to be in this church. When we had nothing but spam and bologna in the refrigerator, my mama worked 3 to 11, and my sister had to raise me and and cook for me. Uh, we We ate a ton of... Bologna sandwich and fried bologna, didn't we? And hamburger help. Man, when we had hamburger help, we were going in. Because I'm going to tell you this. When all you have is a piece of fried bologna and milk to drink, milk and bologna don't match up good for me. But when that's what we had, that's what we did. But we, listen, she was so thankful. God just hit her spirit with hamburger helper. When you're thankful for hamburger helper, you, you're moving in the right direction. Amen? Rich people don't know nothing about that kind, of, that kind of peace. Man, when you got some jelly to go along with your peanut butter, you, you're like, whoa! When you got a little bit of mayonnaise to put on your turkey sandwich, you're like, hey, now! Mess around and find some Miracle Whip deep in the, hey, I can scrape enough off this to make one more sandwich. All y'all people eating nine-grain, multi-grain bread. We had, we had wonder bread, and we were thankful for it. Hallelujah. I'm talking about a kind of peace like this man Horatio had. He went bankrupt, lost it all, kept serving God. He was sent, he, was, he, he had committed to the, uh, oh, man, what was it, dude? Dwight Moody. He committed to, to help Dwight Moody with an uh, evangelistic crusade he was having uh, across the Atlantic Ocean uh, over in another continent. And he, him and his whole family were going over there like, I ain't got no business left. I'm tying up my business affairs right now. Uh, we're going to come over there and help you. But when it came time to make the sailing, he had to send his wife and four daughters without him because he, ha- he had to sign some papers to finish up his business stuff. And he got a telegram from his wife that said, saved alone. To let him know the result. The ship went down sunk. Almost everyone on the ship died. His wife won a few people that didn't die. Uh, All four of his children died on their way to help a preacher win people to Christ. And he sent back that he was going to be on his way. And when the ship that he was on, pass by and if you ever been on a ship they let you know this is where this happened when he passed by that exact same spot that all four his only four children died that's when he sat down 
and he wrote the words to the song, It is well with my soul. You think he knew about grief? Oh, man. I've debated it in my mind. I had somebody t- tell me after my wife died, she was 36 years old, left me with a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And they were, people try to comfort in the weirdest way. They're like, well, thank God you didn't lose one of your children. Nothing harder than losing a child. I, I don't even know if Dina remember this. I said enough times she ought to, but she's older than me. I said repeatedly, and I meant it with all my heart. These people saying it's harder to lose a child. I'd have gave up both my kids to keep my wife. I told her we have more or not. But now, 17 years past that, uh, I understand why the experts say losing a child. You don't, you don't expect your child to go before you. This man lost all four of his children and wrote one of the most comforting, peaceful songs in the history of the body of Christ. Even so, it is well with my He had peace in the midst of the greatest hardship. What do we do now? Our team don't win a football game. We go into depression for a month. Somebody, somebody don't return your text within 15 minutes. You lose your mind. They ain't texting me back. What People weren't wrong with it. Peace. Peace. I've been saying it for years. I still believe it. I'm, I, I, I'm about to try, try to uh, get, get my health in, in a better position. But I've been saying for years that the average person could just get three days of good sleep and nobody bothering them. Change their life. Change their life. My best friend, accountability partner, Pastor Gene Dillon, uh, I, I was on the phone with him this week and getting some advice from him about some different things in ministry. And he's recently retired. And he's sitting down, sitting in a chair, listening to another preacher, happy to be serving God. And he laughed. He said, man, he said, I'm going to tell you one thing. I don't envy you. Being in there, dealing with everybody's problems, having the weight of the world on your neck. He said, I'm happier than I've ever been. I said, man, you're about to lose a friend if you don't shut up. <laughs> Whatever you're going through, you need to think about the peace of God. And when you don't feel it, when your mind is just running a million miles an hour, ask God to give you peace. Because peace is better than money. In verse 3, he said, When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Now, Macedonia, many of the cities in the Bible don't exist anymore. Well, they exist. The ground's still there, but they they named it something different. Macedonia, the ancient city of Macedonia, is bigger than the current city of northern. The, the, the biggest area there now is called northern Macedonia, but Macedonia was much bigger uh, than what is now called northern Macedonia. It was bordered by, it encompasses all of north Macedonia, but also parts of Greece, Bulgaria, and smaller parts of Albania, Serbia, and Kosovo. I want to tell you, when you look at the back of your Bible and it shows you the maps of Paul's journeys, If you've never done the research, let me tell you what every place you research will tell you, that Paul's travels took him over 10,000 miles, most of it by foot. If you look at a map and you look how far it is from Jerusalem to Italy, go ahead and get your walking shoes on. I read one, one commentary this week that said, it would be the equivalent of walking from New York to California and back four times. Man, I don't even like walking to the mailbox. But Paul said that I left you there in Macedonia. I urge you to stay there in Ephesus. That's where Timothy did ministry. Timothy is the first bishop in the city of Ephesus which is now modern-day Turkey, if you want to see it on a map. And Paul told him there to stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. That's not the call of God on everybody's life. 
So many people read Scripture and think that everything in here applies to you. Well, the Bible says Jesus went out and hanged himself. Thank you. Judas went out and hanged himself. I told you I'm old. Judas went out and hanged himself. That doesn't mean that that's God's will for your life. God wanted Timothy to stop those teachings who is contrary to the truth. It's not everybody's job to go and shut down false teaching. Everybody's not trained and equipped for that. Timothy was trained and equipped for that. But let me tell you this. There's always been and there's always going to be false teachers. And we'll, we'll see more about them in a minute. But verse 4 says, Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life full of faith in God. Do you know that even after you start studying your Bible, the devil wants to get you tied up studying things that, that are going to trip you up more than help you live a godly life? Well, what do these ten toes represent in the book of the Revelation? What about these 70? You ain't even, you ain't even winning people to Christ yet, and you, you're trying to, to, to figure out stuff that, that people been arguing about since before we were born. Well, what, what exactly, how does the dinosaur and the caveman, how does the Piltdown man tie into the creation? You're worried about the Piltdown man, and you don't, even, you don't even read your Bible on a regular basis, love God and love people? Listen, don't get caught up in stuff that doesn't help you. Look, it don't help people live a life full of faith in God. If you're not living a faithful life to God, all those studies right there, you ought to leave that alone. People trying to worry about, ooh, I'd like to take a trigonometry. Well, you can't pass geometry. Leave them geometries alone. Do something you can do. If the average Christian would just put into practice what they already know, they'd be living a more faithful life than what they're already living. If you don't hear anything, I want you to hear this. Focus your energy on things that help you live a life of faith in God. Focus your energy. Now, how do you know if you're living a life full of faith in God? That can easily be said a different way. Being faithful to God. Focus your energy on being faithful to God. Focus your energy on things that push your heart towards more faithfulness in God. Stop where, listen, let Let's get the main thing, the main thing. People trying to concentrate on all these things. They're just drawing them away into foolish discussions. The purpose, look at verse 5. He said, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. He said, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love. Then he talks about where that love comes from. If you're not filled with love, you don't have the main thing being the main thing. If you're negative, bitter, if you're slandering, if you're criticizing, if you're judging everybody else, if, if you're walking around being mad about this, that, and the other thing, you got issues. This is why I've said for years since the start of this church and before that I don't believe racists go to heaven. Because God said, you can't, it's impossible for you to love a God who you've never seen if you can't love people that you do see. But it goes beyond racist. What about just mad people? How many, y'all, you know somebody, they're just mad all the time. Nobody makes the grade in their class. Everybody's deficient. Nobody measures up to what they think they ought to be. Listen, that's not a heart filled with love. Jesus said the most important commandment is to love God and to love people. Man, if you can't get that right, you need to leave everything else alone and get your love tank filled up. Because the Bible says they'll know that we are followers of Jesus Christ by the way we love people. Mm, I don't have time to bring this all to you the, the way I want to, but you can't be filled with love unless you have these three things that that the Bible talks about, a pure heart. You can't be filled up on love while you're, while you, while you're you know, dipping and dodging, while you're out there creeping, while you're out there living a contrary life. Smart people call it a duplicitous life. 
You're out there living the hypocritical life, wearing a mask in church, doing, doing dirt outside. You can't, you can't be filled up with love for God and people while doing dirt because your heart ain't pure. You know that you're a contradiction. You can't be all that God wants you to be living that kind of way. Why? Because you need a clear conscience. You can't have a clear conscience if you don't have a pure heart. You're out there wondering, oh, Lord. I know people that are worried about getting caught. Let me tell you something. God already caught you. That's why when they tried to break Paul down, criticizing church members, tried to break Paul down, he said, your judgment of me means nothing to me because I got a greater one than you that's judging me. Well, that'd be like the neighbor down the street criticizing you. Oh, man, you shouldn't have done wrong, little boy. Woo, uh, you're going to be in trouble. Listen, old lady, care what you think about me. I'm over here struggling, wondering what they're going to do to me, what my mama's going to do to me when I get home. You keep your stuff. Listen, you can't have a full tank of love if you don't have a clear conscience. And what's and mean, church? Boy, there's a lot to it, having a, a, a heart filled with love. You've got to have genuine faith. Well, if there's a genuine faith, there's a false faith. Don't be shocked on judgment day when you get to heaven and God says you wasn't really saved. You better make sure that you got a pure heart, a clean conscience, and genuine faith. Listen, if it doesn't cause you to live a faithful life to God or fill you with the love of God, stay away from it. Some of us need to get some people out of our lives. They just pull to the negative. Some of us need to get some habits out of our lives. They just pull to the negative. Some of us need to stop doing certain things and start doing certain things. And if it doesn't cause you to draw closer to God, you need to get rid of it. Because the devil will use anything to distract you. Your new church friend, Every, every time something goes wrong, they want to call you and blow you. I have people tell me, all the time, Pastor, I don't know why so many people call me and just gossip so much. And I tell them, because you're a trash can. People only throw trash in a trash can. They ain't going to call me and tell me that. Act crazy if you want to. Call me on the phone and, and, and try to tell me something you, you don't like about Rick Douglas. I'll let you know. Well, let's let, hold on. Before you do that, let's get on on you first. Oh, no. They, they, nah, they don't want that. Mm. Missing the whole point. Devil getting you off track. Verse 7 says, they want to be known as teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. I don't know why there's so many people out there that want to teach other people the Bible. I'm going to tell you this for sure. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't put yourself in that position. I'm so thankful neither one of my sons felt called to be pastors. I've known too many people that because their daddy was a pastor, they became a pastor. And if, if, if God ain't called you to do it, you will drive yourself crazy trying to do it. Two types of people pastoring, called and crazy. That's it. Because if you ain't called, this thing will drive you crazy. I'll, I'll tell you one of the one of the most uh, wise things I ever heard came out of my first pastor. It was a church that me and Connie and, and Dina were all at. Uh, Hillcrest Baptist Church. Then it was on the corner of Plymouth and LaBelle right off Cassett Avenue. And our pastor was Pastor C. Benny Moore. And Brother Moore, he had an eighth grade education. He said he had an eighth grade. He didn't finish the eighth grade. He went to eighth grade. He might have finished it, but he didn't go past the eighth grade. But he, God would give him wisdom. And when I went to him and I told him, Brother Moore, I believe God wants me to go into full-time pastoral ministry. He said, don't do it, Scott. And he, he, was, he was wrung out. I remember leaving his office one day, and he was 57 years old, and he had his, he had his suit jacket hung on the chair and back of him. He was all slumped down in a chair. He had a bad back, had health issues. I remember leaving there one time. I was 19 years old. I thought, that's the oldest 57-year-old man I've ever seen in my life. 
Now I'll be sitting in my office and Dean will walk in. I'll be slumped down in that chair. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Joe Biden is doing so bad in the polls that, uh, you know, now, now, now this is a good, this is smart to bring President Obama out because he's popular to, to try to help him. But have you seen Barack lately? He was a good-looking man when he came in. See, if I was younger, I'd have to say, no homo, but I ain't none of that. It good, he was a good-looking man when he came into office. His ears are bigger than Elder Jimmy's boots. Look at all these presidents. Clinton, Clinton was a playboy when he came in. All of, and I noticed it as a child. I mean, that four years, that eight years. That's like dog years. You're dealing with the problems of people outside your house now. That wears on you. That age, people like, Pastor, you look tired. Yeah, I'm is tired. <laughs> I don't know about these dog years. If people knew the pain and the strain, I don't trust happy preachers. Not all the, If they're happy all the time, they're just giddy because they felt like they preached a good message. The Bible says the burden of the Lord that was on Jeremiah. This thing is weighty. This thing, you do not want. And here's the wisest thing anybody ever told me. And I've told it everybody that's ever came to me with the same speech that I gave my first pastor. He said, son, go try to do everything else you can. Don't do this right now. But when you're so miserable and you realize you can't do anything else but this, let's talk again. And I wish more people would understand that. We had so many people in, in that time. Our church was growing so fast. It, it felt like every Sunday some young person walked down the aisle and surrendered their life to full-time ministry. God wasn't calling them. They just, they just, wanted, they just wanted to be a te- If Listen, there's more pain in this profession than, than there is uh, people thinking, oh, it's an easy life. You only have to work on Sunday. All the people praising you. Nah, you don't want to live in this glass house. They want to be teachers because they don't really understand it. It says they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. If you don't like that advice, uh, my eighth-grade educated pastor told me, listen to what uh, God inspired the manservant James to say in James 3.1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. You don't want that. See, because you probably don't even understand what that means. Most people think, that's right, that's why we hold pastors to a higher accountability than church folk. You hold pastors to a higher accountability than church folk because you know not the word of God and you don't understand it. Pastors don't have to live holier than church folk. Everybody that's uh, saved is called to live holy. By the same degree. God said, be ye holy as I am holy. That's the preacher. That's everybody claiming the name of Jesus. Ain't no verse in the Bible that God said, be ye holy, but pastors be holier. This ain't saying that that the teachers are going to be judged more strictly uh, by folk. We, 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 We got the same level of judgment on each other. I love what the, what the great theologian D. Edward, D. Edmund Hybert said. The comparative adjective stricter, judge more strictly, the comparative adjective that compares the type of judgment, the comparative adjective stricter implies degrees of treatment at the judgment seat of Christ. See, if you don't self-proclaim yourself to be a teacher of the Word of God, then God's not going to hold you responsible for every word you talk. This ain't got anything to do with Well, I just don't think as a pastor, as a man of God, uh, I had somebody tell me they didn't, they didn't believe a man of God should wear blue jeans in the pulpit. And he told me that you should be held to a strict. This ain't got nothing to do with your estimation. Of, of people who teach the word of God. This has got to do with the judgment of God. That's why Paul said, I got a greater one than you that judges me. God's going to judge preachers. And if you think you want that level, I, I got about 300 hours worth of stuff on my plate. You can take it off my plate today. James 3, 2. 
He followed up by saying, not not many of you should be teachers. He said, indeed, we all make many mistakes. Everybody's got issues. The fact that churches expect, I know so many people, well, I used to go over to so-and-so until I found out the pastor was such and such. Well, did God tell you to go to so-and-so? So many people stopped going to church when Jimmy Swaggart fell. So many people stopped going to church when Jim Baker fell. Listen, it, it, you, you shouldn't be holding anybody up to where they can fall to wreck your faith. The only person that have faith in is Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's a fool to trust in the arm of the flesh because the arm of the flesh will fail you. <laughs> Everybody makes mistakes, but there's a judgment coming on people who self-proclaim teach. And they don't know what they're talking about. They uh, at verse 7, it says, they want to be known as teachers of the laws of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about. Even though they speak confident, it don't matter how eloquent your speech is. It don't matter how loud you say it. It don't matter what your delivery is. If you don't know what you don't know, then you don't know that you don't know what you don't know. It's shameful how easy it is. To self, it's like that movie was absurd when it came out. The Apostle, starring Robert Duvall, they had a scene in that movie. It was hilarious. Robert Duvall was a criminal trying to hide. He was on the lamb, whatever that means. They say on the lamb. He was on the lamb. I don't need an email explaining it. I got enough reading to do this week. He walked out into some body of water. He grabbed himself by the back of the head and he said, "I baptized myself an apostle." You can't do that. You can't do that. That's why, that's why the, the, so many people say it now. Some were called, some were sent. That's how it was in the Bible days. Some were called, some were sent. Some just packed up their junk and went. Don't you be following somebody that packed up their junk and went. The fact that you can go online right now to the church of Unitarian, blah, 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 pay a $25 PayPal transaction over, over the Internet, and they will give you a printable file that can say you are an ordained minister in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a liar, and they are going to all be judged by God carrying around false credentials. False credentials. I know people pastoring, never, never, been to a, never been to a real Bible study in their life. Couldn't tell you anything. You wouldn't go to a dentist that hadn't been trained in dentistry. Oh, let me get this drill and grind up in your mouth for a hot second. You, hey, if God ever moves you on from this place, you better find somebody who's been trained, mentored, educated. Who has The Bible says you have to have the ear of the learned before you can have the tongue of the learned. You can't teach somebody to do something that you don't know yourself. Too many people have missed the point. Come on, Victor, let's get out. Too many people have missed the point of this passage, and here's the point. That all believers will be filled with the love that comes from a pure heart, a clean, clear conscience, and genuine faith. If you are saved, I want you to stop, stop doing dirt so your heart can be pure and your conscience can be clean. Because if you don't, you're going to be that next church member, nitpicking everybody. You know why church folk judge so harshly? Because they're mad at themselves. They know they're raggedy beyond belief, so they just estimate everybody else is raggedy. You, you know why non-worshiping people sit back and look at worshipers and think, oh, it don't take all that. I know her. It don't matter what you know about her. If you know what worship is, you know when you set down your sin, you're free to worship God with a pure heart and a clean conscience. I used to tell staff members, I still tell them, you preaching for me? You having a bad day? I tell the praise and worship team, you having a bad day? You ain't feeling like, like you're up on it spiritually? better check that at the door get your mind right about god and get in here and worship god because he's worthy of being worshiped no matter what dirt you was doing last night get your conscience right get your heart clear so you can have what paul he said i I want you to have a heart full of love i want you to be faithful so let me close by asking you this how's your love tank Reality is some of y'all been running empty on love for a long time. Mad at everything, mad at everybody. 
Don't take but one tiny little thing set you off. You're supposed to have peace like a river. You're supposed to be well with your soul. You're supposed to have so much peace in your life, other people can't understand it. A peace that passes understanding. When I went through hardship in this ministry, and I've been through a lot, people have, people have told me, and I, I know what they mean. They said, man, I admire you because you didn't quit. Oh, if God had let me quit, I'd have quit 5,000 times already. My statement has been pure. The, the minute I feel like God don't want me to be the pastor of this church anymore, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. You got nothing to do with me or my strength, my resolve, my discipline. It's the grace of God has been on my life to continue through hardship. And whatever you're going through, I promise you this. If you will set all your care on God, he won't always fix. That's the lie the big churches tell people. Give $100, God's going to fix all your problems. All you stop sending social media posts. Say these three words and your miracles on its way. Stop. That ain't how God works. That's that's witchcraft. He might not fix everything, but I promise you this: whether you're going through a good time or a bad time, if you'll put all your love on God, He'll do one of two things: He'll either fix what you're going through, or He'll give you the grace and the strength to go through it to His glory. love tank shouldn't be half full it certainly shouldn't be empty the Bible says the joy of the Lord should be your strength if you're not feeling strong in your faithfulness to God get your heart right get your conscience right and make sure that you're saved for real pray with me God thank you for your word help us not to miss the point God Help us not to be so theological that we become impractical. Help us, God, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love each other the way you've commanded us to. God, I thank you for each person in this room, and I pray that you have saved a lost and deliver your children in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.